Can it be that we're going to finish the book of Revelation? Amazing. I think the only weak spot was those 11 chapters. Anyway, (laughs) it's been our pleasure to be with you and to teach the book of Revelation. And I hope it will be the beginning of a number of prophecy conferences here at Coast Bible Church in San Juan Capistrano. God bless you. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation 19. I like to tell people I've read the last chapter, we win. How true that is. Our subject is his worship for all eternity. Revelation 19, after these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments, for he hath judged the great whore, which did corrupt the earth with her fornication, and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. And again they said, Alleluia! And her smoke rose up forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders, representing the church of Jesus Christ in heaven, all during the tribulation, and the four beasts, the living creatures, cherubim, angels, worship leaders of heaven, fell down and worshiped God that sat on the throne saying, Amen, Alleluia. And a voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. And I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And he saith unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him, and he said unto me, See thou do it not, I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings, And Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun. And he cried with a loud voice saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven. Come and gather yourselves together under the supper of the great God. That you may eat the flesh of kings. The flesh of captains. The flesh of mighty men. And the flesh of horses. And of them that sit on them. And the flesh of all men both free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet 
that wrought miracles before him with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceedeth out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. Amazing. This is all coming soon. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for what we've learned already today from your wonderful word. We recognize this is the unveiling, the apocalypse. We've taken the cover off the glory and majesty of Jesus. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. God, I don't know what our relationship is in this audience, but I pray that every one of us may renew our commitment to him. And recognize that one day, all that we have read about is going to happen. Thank you, Lord, that we conclude the book of Revelation in triumph, not in defeat. And the glory of our Lord will be revealed. It's in the blessed name of our Lord Yeshua that we pray these things. Amen. Well, what a way to begin the end. (laughs) And here we begin with insights about the second coming in chapter 19. How this is all going to take place. Some believe this is the theme of the book, the event of the second coming. I don't. I hope you don't either. The theme of the book is the glory and majesty of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? I'm sorry. Yeah, I just want to make sure you're still here. Well, in the opening six verses, praise is proclaimed in heaven. And I must tell you what I did. Though embarrassing, I loved it, and I still would like to do it again. I was teaching at Costa Mesa on Revelation, and we came to this section. I went and bought the uh, CD by the Westminster Choir, 500 Strong, and the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra of London playing the Hallelujah Chorus. So I took it up to the sound room before the service started. And uh, how many of you remember what I'm going to say? Yeah, there's about four or five of you. So I took it up to the sound room and I said, would I give you the signal? I'm going to raise my hands up. I want you to Put it into the distort. Make it so loud. It'll blow these people away. So everything was going fine. There was about 2,000 there. And when we came to that passage <laughs> we just read, I raised my hands and said, Well, the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. And all of a sudden, Hallelujah! Hallelujah! I only wish today that I had had a video camera on the pulpit to film what was happening in the audience. 2,000 people were running around like little children, screaming and yelling. I know they thought we were getting a bus up for heaven right then. But uh, I was informed that I should not do this because there were two elderly ladies in the front row that almost died of heart attack. I still think it was a great idea. It got people ready for heaven right away. (laughs) The preparation of the bride. I may disagree with what you know about this. Um, I've found through the years that I have disagreed with most of my friends who teach it. The basic teaching about the timing of this event is that it's in heaven while the tribulation is going on on earth, the preparation of the bride and the marriage supper of the Lamb. Well, I've never really been comfortable with that for several reasons. Number one, it fouls up all the teaching about weddings connected with the second coming that are in the New Testament. They are all at the end of the tribulation. 
Secondly, we're told in the Bible that we're going to sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They're not resurrected till the end of the tribulation. I believe the marriage supper of the Lamb is what introduces the millennial kingdom of our Lord. And he will introduce his bride to the entire world. So I believe it will be after the tribulation and the beginning of the 1,000-year reign of Christ, which we'll see here in chapter 20. Now, power is going to be displayed when he comes. That's the underestimated uh, point of this passage. It starts with verse 11, when heaven opens, and here comes a, a rider on a white horse. And some of the characteristics of him that have been mentioned already in Revelation are mentioned again. But perhaps the most startling thing we see is that his clothing, his vesture, is dipped in blood. His name is called the Word of God. Now I believe what's happening here is what Isaiah predicted would happen. Chapter 63. When the Messiah comes, when all nations have gathered against Israel to wipe her off the face of the earth, he will defend his people and he will destroy those nations. And all of Israel, as we have mentioned in a previous session, will become a bloodbath, the winepress of the wrath of God. And the blood will flow to the horse's bridles. And therefore his vesture and clothing is dipped in blood, all right. It's not referring to the cross. It's referring to the blood of his enemies that he will destroy when he comes again at the end of the tribulation. Feel free to say hallelujah because it's going to happen. The punishment that will come to planet earth described in the verses 17 to 21 uh, is that famous supper of God. Not the marriage supper, of course. It is the supper of all the vultures of the earth being invited to feed on the flesh of the enemies of our Lord whom he will destroy at the battle of Armageddon. So that supper is mentioned. Also mentioned is that the beast and false prophet uh, are cast into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. Praise the Lord. They're out of the way. Now when you look at chapter 20, chapter 20 um, Over 90% of church names alone, that is denominational names, uh, have pastors who teach that this is allegorical. Uh, the, The most people in America who call themselves Christians in terms of the millennium are what we call amillennial. That is, they do not believe there is a literal millennium on earth. You have postmillennial, not too popular anymore, but Uh, the millennium uh, will culminate in the second coming. Then you have premillennial. Most of us who are pre-trib are also premillennial and uh, also pro-Israel. And so when you interpret the events of chapter 20, it depends on where you stand as to what you're going to say to people. They believe that the six mentions of the thousand years are all allegorical. I don't. I believe it's literal. People ask, well, isn't the kingdom of God forever? Yes. Isn't the kingdom that will be established in the millennial reign of our Lord going to continue? Yes, it is. Then what's the point of the thousand years? I think you'll see what the point is as we read this portion of God's word. Follow along, please. Chapter 20, verse 1. I saw an angel come down from heaven having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that he must be loosed a little season. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them, And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. 
And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This, the one he mentioned in verse 4, is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. When the thousand years are expired, Satan will be loosed out of his prison, and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Wow. Now, before we look at the last little section, let's talk about the binding of Satan. What's, what's the whole point of this? Why do this? And the fact is that God is going to show that, us that in a perfect environment, ruled by our Messiah, our Lord Yeshua, the problem is still in the human heart. When Satan is released at the end, he is given the freedom to deceive the nation's of the world that are existing at that time, all under the age of 100. And he will deceive them. And God will destroy these people as fire will come from God out of heaven and devour them. He will show us that even if you had a perfect environment, which everybody says is what we need, even if we had that, it does not answer the need of the human heart. They must turn to the Messiah or forever be lost. Now, several of you have asked me already, and I said, just wait, I'll answer it this afternoon. You've asked me this problem about the millennium, and will people be saved in the millennium? Yes, they will. Some people believe that only born-again believers are going into the millennium, with new bodies, judging the resurrection of Old Testament saints and tribulation saints, which will happen at the end of the tribulation, spoken of by Daniel in chapter 12 of his book. They believe, therefore, everybody's a believer. Well, then who do we rule and reign over? And people say, well, I thought all the armies and nations of the earth that attack Israel are all going to be uh, destroyed. So who are the people that are unbelievers, that we reign over during the millennium? And the answer is that it's only the armies that are destroyed that come against the battle of Armageddon. There are plenty of women and children and other people, uh, men, who are not in that battle. They're not warriors. They're not in the armies. And they will go into the millennium in natural bodies just like you and I have right now. We know that that matches also with Isaiah's prediction that they will have children. And they will have the opportunity until age 100 to turn to the Messiah. Now that brings up a problem. There are Christians today, like John Haggai and others, good preacher, but he believes what's called the dual covenant theory. Uh, recently he said that he doesn't believe it, but... Uh, he appeared before the Pre-Trib Research Center Conference to explain his view and uh, to sort of apologize. Now, I know that one real well because I was to give the opening prayer and introduce him and sat on the platform while he continued his view. He believes that God has a dual covenant. That is, he will save Jews by a different method than church-age Gentiles. I'm sorry, I don't believe that. I heard his nice presentation. It was good. He is an excellent preacher. But I do not believe that. I believe that both Jew and Gentile are saved the same way. 
You have to put your faith and trust in the Messiah of Israel, and His death is the only sufficient means to pay for your sins and mine. All of our sin was laid on Him, and without Him, there is no salvation at all. And I believe it's a one message of the gospel. There are not two ways to be saved. There's only one, whether you're Jewish or Gentile. In other words, the blessings of believers that are mentioned here are probably referring only to the martyrs of the tribulation period. Uh, If you read verse 4 carefully, it looks like that's it. I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus. Many people point out the beheading is that Islam coming to power in a greater way. I don't know. But I do know that all these martyrs will live and reign with our Lord. And they'll be resurrected in His glory. Now the battle that ends the thousand years mentions Gog and Magog from Ezekiel 38 and 39. Is this that battle? Or is this uh, an illustration of that amazing confederation against Israel? I think the latter is true. He's not mentioning, uh, in fact, if he were, there would be plenty more details than what we have right here. And the way it ends is also different than what uh, we read in Ezekiel 38 and 39. No, this is a separate battle, has its purpose to show us that in spite of a righteous ruler on earth, a perfect kingdom, yet the problem of the human heart is still there, and man still must be saved, as Isaiah indicates, will happen during the thousand-year reign of our Lord. Now will you come please to verse 11. I'm not going to go into detail here uh, because we have a message tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. by Dr. Seifert on, Is There a Hell? In Revelation 20, verse 11, it says, I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open. And another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which are written in the books, plural, according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell, or Hades, delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life, that special book, was cast into the lake of fire. Now why the books in addition to the book of life? Apparently God has recorded the deeds of all, whether you're righteous or wicked. It's a basis for giving his rewards and responsibilities in the future. We all sort of understand that as it relates to believers being rewarded. But we're all a little troubled about it as it relates to the great white throne. I think it it is only appropriate that God does this. To me, it makes complete theological as well as philosophical sense that he is the judge of all men, that he records your deeds, whether they are righteous or wicked. Are we saved and secure by our deeds? No, we're not. The Bible's very clear that none of us are justified by the deeds of the law. None of us. Then what's the purpose of them? The Bible teaches that it's for reward. And there are many passages. We could do a whole sermon just on that alone and be wonderfully blessed. Well, what's the purpose of the other? I think this matches what our Lord Jesus taught us, that there are going to be degrees of punishment in hell just as there are degrees of reward in heaven. And I'll let uh, Dr. Seifert deal uh, with any other matters related to that. Let's go to chapter 21. We have instruction about eternity. Revelation 21. 
And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Do you think we might need one? For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. Now that disturbs fishermen. But I want you to know there's a river in the heavenly city. So maybe there'll be fish there for you. We also know in the millennium they'll be fishing in the Dead Sea. And it'll no longer be dead. It'll be alive with water, living water that came out of the temple of God on the mount of God. Now, it says, I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for a husband. I don't know if you know this background, but apparently Mohammed ran into a Jewish rabbi who told him that there's going to be a Jerusalem coming down from heaven. And so uh, apparently Mohammed, uh, in order to convince his followers that he knew what he's talking about, um, he said that apparently in the night, uh, he and his wonderful horse uh, were able to go to um, Jerusalem. And um, therefore, uh, they then taught they had three holy cities, Mecca, Medina, and Jerusalem. There's just one problem with that. Uh, There's no record of that. Nobody saw it. Nobody documented it. And it is strange that in the whole Koran, it doesn't mention Jerusalem one time. Now, I've been told by Muslims that I've been witnessing to that, well, you need to know the Arabic name, Al-Quds. By the way, yesterday was Quds Day all over the Muslim world. The last day of Ramadan is called Quds Day, where they celebrate Jerusalem and believe that it belongs to them, not to Israel. I've, I've asked the Muslim leaders this question. Why does the Koran not mention Jerusalem if it's one of your holy cities? And they say, well, if you knew Arabic, you'd know it has an Arabic name, Al-Quds. Well, don't let them get away with that. I respond, excuse me, but it is not called Al-Quds either anywhere in the Koran. The next statement is usually the same, especially from Muslim leaders, because they're trusting that their people will remain ignorant and will not question them. The next question they bring up as well, <laughs> probably the Bible doesn't mention it much either. Now, I love it when they say that. I said, well, that's funny. I would have thought you would have known more about the Bible. I do know the Bible. No, uh, you don't. Because the Bible mentions the city, Jerusalem, um, 811 times. It calls it Zion 152 times. Called the city of David, the city of truth. They said, all right, all right. They get very upset then. Well, well, they should be. This is a city that comes down from God out of heaven. Well, that means that that city's up there. Some believe that Jesus has been working on it this whole time. I, I, I have a hard time with that. First of all, it only takes him a moment on each of the six days of creation to do what he did to the, to the universe that we now live in. To argue that uh, for 2,000 years he's been making your house which probably uh, you really are looking forward to, especially if you can't pay, pay your mortgage right now. But my friends, when it says, I go to prepare a place for you, I do not believe it's referring to the construction of a building at all. We will have, quote, mansions or dwelling places in heaven, of course. But... When he said, I go to prepare a place for you, he's talking about your salvation and mine. Where was he going? He was going to the cross to make a way for us to be with him forever. In other words, we've pulled it kind of out of the discussion of Jesus, out of the context, and made up our own theory about it. Also, the little chorus, I've got a mansion just over the hilltop. I don't even know if there are hilltops. The only ones I know about are going to be on earth, a new earth. 
Oh, well, then where is the new Jerusalem? Well, Dr. McGee was kind of unsettled on this issue, and he said, he told me personally, he said the new Jerusalem is going to be suspended in the air because God wouldn't want it to touch the earth, which is carnal and, you know, degraded. And uh, after he told me all that, I said, well, wait a minute. It's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. He just looked at me and said, right. I said, well, then maybe the new Jerusalem comes down and sets on the earth. Well, where are you going to put it? I said, well, there's a lot of room, really. And um, I showed him a, a little drawing I had made based upon the dimensions that are mentioned here in chapter 21. And uh, you'll forgive me, but I think this thing has to be a cube. It could be a pyramid with the throne of God at the top. That, that has a lot of fascination to it. But I think it's a pyramid, and it's 500 miles on a side. Are you following this? No, you're not. You're just looking at me like, what? Okay, now hang on. If you, you can do this on a computer, by the way, real easy, and get yourself a graph as to uh, how much 500 miles, whether it's an inch or two inches or whatever, and set that thing on a map. I just think it's kind of fascinating that the New Jerusalem, if you set it down on the earth on a map, is the exact area and dimensions that God promised to Abraham. How about that, Pastor? From the river Euphrates to the river of Egypt, the Nile, and you can set that baby right down there. Amen? Interesting. Um, does that have anything to do with your teaching in Revelation? No, I made that up. But I do think it's possible. So let's just keep looking at this a little bit. It says in verse 2, I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. He will dwell with them. They shall be his people. God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. He said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. I will be his God. He shall be my son. But the fearful and unbelieving, the abominable, and murderers and whoremongers and drug dealers and idolaters and all liars. You thought you were going to escape that list, huh? shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now, in looking about this instruction for about eternity, the one thing we do notice is the pattern of things are going to be changed. And I say, praise the Lord. Things are going to be changed. Praise the Lord. A new heaven and a new earth. The presence of a new city is announced. And it's going to come out of heaven. Come from God. So it would be the third heaven. And it's like a bride adorned for her husband. And the purpose of God is going to be fulfilled. In verse, uh, in, in, the, in these verses, God's purpose is to dwell with his people. God will be with them and will be their God. Thank you, Lord. And the past will be removed. No more tears, no death, sorrow, crying, neither. And also the Old Testament says there will be no remembrance of former things. Now that bothers people. 
Well, what if you had a good marriage? Like one man said, hey, I've been married 20 years and five of them weren't bad. There is no marriage or given in marriage in heaven. Now, before you cry, God is going to make you supremely happy. Amen? That was pretty weak, and you know it. (laughs) But the fact is, God has said some wonderful things here. All those pains, hurts, disappointments, things didn't turn out right, relationships that were broken, not what you wanted or needed. All of it's removed. Oh, here's the good one. He will remember your sins against you no more. Now, will he know what you have done? Of course, he's omniscient, he's God. The point is, he won't bring it up. Whoa, what a lesson on forgiveness. People are often told by immature counselors, that you know, you shouldn't bring up any of these bad things anymore. That your husband or wife did to you. Don't don't bring it up. You can forget it. How many of you believe you can forget it? Not a person here. Of course we can't forget it. Forgiveness is rooted in the fact that even though you know what they did and you still remembered it 20 years later, you made a commitment never to bring it up again. You have forgiven them. Amen? Now, that again was a pretty weak reply. I don't know, maybe we need to, well, let's move on. We also know that the promises of God are going to be realized. And we thank the Lord for that. And he who overcomes will inherit all things. How wonderful. And we also know the punishment of the wicked is a certainty. God's not going to sweep it under the rug. They're going to be dealt with, and it says so in verse 8. Well, let's take another look at the ingredients of this coming city that is so wonderful. Verse 9. There came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I'll show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. He carried me away in the Spirit, in Spirit, not in the Holy Spirit, to a great and high mountain, and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her light was likened to a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, probably a diamond, by the way, clear as crystal, had a wall great and high, had twelve gates, At the gates twelve angels, and names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel, on the east three, north three, south three, west three. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations. I don't know what you're visualizing. There are some who see these foundations um, as multiple sections of a foundation. If I'm reading this correct, the foundation is 500 miles square, and these are stacked on top of one another. The most amazing collection of gemology the world has ever seen. It says, the wall had 12 foundations. That's what it said. And in them, the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. He that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city and the gates thereof and the wall thereof, and the city lieth four square. And the length is as large as the breadth, and he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. The length, the breadth, the height of it are equal. He measured the wall, 144 cubits. That's 218 feet thick. According to the measure of a man that is of the angel... And the building of the wall of it was of jasper, that would be diamond. And the city was pure gold, like unto clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were garnished, I like that old English word, made beautiful, with all manner of precious stones. 
The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth an emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprasus, the eleventh adjacent, the twelfth an amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Every several gate was of one pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, as it were, transparent glass. I saw no temple therein. Woo. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. The city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. The kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. The gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. There shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Anybody want to shout? Feel free to. Boy, it's amazing what God's prepared for those that love Him. 1 Corinthians 2 says, I has not seen nor ear heard, neither has entered in the heart of man the things that God's prepared for those who love him. Wow. So in looking at these ingredients, we have the shining of the light. I was um, quite fascinated when I first taught Revelation. Boy, that's a long time ago. I had a gemologist friend who eventually... Uh, became an elder, one of the guys I discipled. And uh, he had a big firm up in Los Angeles. And I told him I was preaching on Revelation. I'd like to get his evaluation of what this might be like. The other day I was uh, looking through some old stuff I had, and there was his evaluation. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. Here's what he said. It is hard to imagine what light traveling through these gems would produce. First of all, if the jasper is a diamond, then the light would be a spectrum of colors that, from my point of view, would be impossible for the human eye to look at. He said, I never knew that all these gems were going to be the foundations of the city and be so big. God has to change our eyes. The size of things, the stones of it, all of it, speaks of that which the human eye has never yet seen, nor could see. I don't know what to say to you all about it. I just say, this is spectacular. Amen? This is beyond belief. This is my home. I'm going home. Hmm. Anybody like to go today? Yeah. Amazing, all of this. The structure of the city alone, the size of the city, the stones of it, And the very secret of its purpose is just remarkable that we're not going to be sitting on clouds doing nothing. We're going to be serving the Lord. Amen? Jim, I think you'll be handling the audio. Some of our musicians, seems to me they would be a good addition to play. I don't know what the Lord's going to do with what we've done here. Um... You know, as a preacher, I I don't think I'll be needed. I really don't. I think we'll all be sitting at the feet of our blessed Lord to hear what he has to say. And there's no night, so we're not going to be sleeping. Or or maybe we are going to sleep. I, I don't know. I just love thinking about it. Blessed are the dead, those who die in the Lord, for they shall rest from their labors. That's eternal nap time to me. Amen? 
Let's go to chapter 22. He showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst or the middle of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Wow. There shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. His servants shall serve Him. And here's my favorite verse. They shall see His face. His name shall be in their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no candle, neither light of the sun. For the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. And He said unto me, These sayings are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants the thing which must shortly be done. And now Jesus speaks. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. And I, John, saw these things and heard them. And when I heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel which showed me these things. Then said he unto me, See thou do it not, for I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of this book. Worship God. And he saith unto me, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. He that is filthy, let him be filthy still. In other words, if you're not going to change, there isn't going to be future opportunities. Let him be righteous still, if he's righteous. He that is holy, let him be holy still. The Lord interrupts again. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give every man according as his work shall be. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life, and may enter in through the gates into the city, for without are dogs, sorcerers, drug dealers, and drug addicts, and whoremongers, and murderers, and idolaters, and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. Jesus speaks again. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, and the bright and morning star. And the Spirit and the bride say, Come! Let him that heareth say, Come! Let him that is a thirst come. Whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. Pay attention, Mormons. Pay attention, Muslims. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life, out of the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. Pay attention, liberal churches. He which testifieth these things saith, here he comes again, Surely I come quickly. And all God's people said, Even so come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And all of us said, Now quickly, there's a stream that flows from the throne. It's going to heal the Dead Sea too. Uh, Believers are going to serve the Lord. They're going to be active doing things for the Lord. And according to the Bible, this book is very, very important. So important that it reveals the content of that which can be trusted. It reveals the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Three times he says, I'm coming quickly. It reveals the divine character of our Lord in verse 13. It reveals the consequences of the gospel. What a book. It's an invitation to eternity in verses 16 to 21. My dear friends, I just read (laughs) about your heavenly home. That's where you're going when you die. You're absent from the body 
and home with the Lord. Hello? Home with the Lord. Man, must be the hot afternoon. I don't know what it is. It's frying our brains. In looking at what we have done in Revelation, there are two major issues, big ones, that we need to go back and pull together for you. The first one will start at 9 o'clock tomorrow morning. Dr. David Seifert will tell us that hell is real. And then at the last section, session, I'll be speaking on heaven is for real. Can't wait to tell you about it. I want you to know what you're going to be doing when you get up there. And how wonderful it's going to be. Because we're going home. Amen? Don't worry about it. The Lord has promised to take care of us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. King David said, I've been young and I've been old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Father, how thankful we are that we could take out a few moments of our busy times and first of all, read the book of Revelation. What a joy it is. And you've promised a blessing to all who would do it. You've also admonished us to repent and remember what it was like when we came to know the Lord. And to put the Lord back in first place where he belongs. Lord, I pray for those that may be in this meeting and are not sure of their own relationship to the Lord. That's an awful way to leave. And I pray, Lord, that by your powerful Holy Spirit, you would draw people right now to turn to you before it's too late. You made it so simple that even a child, you said, a little tiny child, could receive it. You even told us that except we come like a little child, we'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Lord, I pray that you would right now work upon us by your Spirit. But Father, we pray for the services tomorrow as we deal with the subjects of hell and heaven. May it be clear in our minds and hearts where we stand. We thank you in the precious name of our Lord Yeshua, we pray. Amen.